Today, as we celebrate this first Sunday of Advent, I want to say a special thank you to all those who came to decorate yesterday. You can see the, the beautiful Christmas tree and the Advent wreath. And uh, the other part you probably can't see is that uh, Pat Andrews and her team brought in quilts. And uh, we'll be blessing those quilts a little bit later in this month here. And so we are looking very festive, even though it's so different. So as we gather together on this first Sunday of Advent, I thought it might be helpful to review a little bit about this term, Advent. Advent is a Latin, um, it's an English word from the Latin word Adventus. Um, and that word means uh, coming or arrival. And it was, uh, Adventus was the Latin word that they used to translate the Greek word for parousia, which referred to uh, the second coming, Christ's second coming. So as we gather for Advent, there are really three meanings uh, for this season of Advent. First meaning is the physical remembrance, the, the remembrance of the physical nativity of Jesus in Bethlehem. The second meaning is the receiving of Jesus in our hearts through faith. And then the third reference is to the second coming of Christ. And so these three themes kind of are interwoven during our season of Advent. But on the Sunday of Hope, we begin with the third one in particular, the final and climactic second coming of Jesus. And to prepare us for that, our reading highlights a teaching that Jesus gave that refers to this. And it's the whole chapter, pretty much, of Mark chapter 13. Uh, but today we're going to be reading verses 24 through 37. And I'm going to make a lot of biblical references, especially to this chapter, but a, uh, one other, to Second Thessalonians. So I'm going to encourage you, invite you to have your Bibles with you and uh, use your Bible to... Um, to gain a deeper understanding of, of, what's, um, of what this teaching means. Um, because when we read through this teaching, I think it can be kind of frightening. I mean, to be honest, it's not been one of my favorite texts to preach on, except for this year. <laughs> this year has given me all kinds of material. And um, so um, that's partly why I wanted to take this section of, uh, of chapter 13 and focus on it today because I think that it has a lot of meaning for us in our lives as Christians today. Chapter 13 of Mark, beginning at the 24th verse. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, 
you can know that this that his return is very near right at the door i tell you the truth this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place heaven and earth will disappear but my words will never disappear oh everyone no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen not even the angels in heaven or the son himself only the father knows and since you don't know when that time will come be on guard stay alert the coming of the son of man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip when he left home he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return you too must keep watch for you don't know when the master of the household will return in the evening at midnight before dawn or at daybreak don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning i say to you what i say to everyone watch for him watch for him now i don't know if any of you are jeopardy fans i don't watch a lot of game shows but if i had one to watch um, that's one of my favorites that's the one that i would watch and so in honor of alex trebek's wife and his show jeopardy i thought i would begin today with a jeopardy style question for you and i have selected the question from the category superheroes for a hundred so this is the green crystals that come from superman's home planet which weaken him causing him to lose his special powers what is kryptonite did you get it <laughs> well i hope you did if not let me try a second one let's do thanksgiving for a hundred what is it that causes a human to fall asleep after eating turkey what is tryptophan <laughs> yes tryptophan is that amino acid that just puts us to sleep for me it's like clockwork you know 30 minutes after a good turkey dinner and i could find a pillow and cuddle up and just fall sound asleep you may not have that reaction but but i certainly do and i'm glad to know that other people do so many other people that scientists have actually investigated it trying to figure it out so when we think about falling asleep listen to the end of jesus's teaching from today where he tells us to watch for the lord's return i'm going to read from verses 34 through 37 again from mark 13. the coming of the son of man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip when he left home he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return you too must keep watch for you don't know when the master of the household will return in the evening at midnight before dawn at daybreak so don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives 
without warning. Don't let him find you sleeping, he says to his disciples. That is who his primary audience is here. He's teaching his disciples to be alert. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep. So I find it kind of ironic that within 31 verses, we see an epic failure. Right after this teaching from Mark 13 and Mark 14, uh, Jesus is anointed by uh, the woman with the expensive perfume, uh, the expensive nard. Um, after that, he eats the Passover meal with his disciples and institutes the, the Lord's Supper with them. And then following that, he foretells how Peter will deny him three times. So not a lot is happening here other than that anointing and then the Passover and the Lord's Supper, and part of that supper is G, uh, Jesus telling Peter about his denial, uh, upcoming denials. And then they go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. It's less than a chapter. It's 31 verses later, and they are in the garden praying. At least Jesus is. The disciples are supposed to be praying with him, but they are asleep. They have fallen asleep. Less than a chapter after the important warning that Jesus shares with them, they are asleep. Not once. Jesus goes back to them again and again, and they are still sleeping. These pillars of faith, devoted followers of Jesus, are sound asleep. I say this because it gives me hope for the many times that I have been tryptophaned. I don't know if that's a word, I just made it up. For the times that I have fallen asleep, when I have not been awake, preparing for Jesus. Don't let the Son of Man find you sleeping when he, rise, when he arrives without warning, Jesus says. He's telling his followers to stay alert. Do not become complacent. Now, a few years back, complacency could have been a problem for us in the church. And as a matter of fact, we had a period of our lives where I think we were rather comfortable and we had almost everything that we needed. And so we could tell our kids, we don't want anything for Christmas. We've got everything. If I need something, I go to, I go to uh, Amazon and I just order it. I mean, that's the kind of lives that we were leading. And then the pandemic hit. And then political crises hit. And then we began to war with one another. And then we no longer could become complacent because every time we gathered with people, whether they were family or friends, work colleagues, we ran the risk of being involved in a huge conflict. We still do. We still do. The world around us is in so much turmoil. And it's not just our nation. This is happening all over the world. We are in so much turmoil 
that we cannot become complacent. So we wait for Christ's second coming with hope and with a new meaning because we are experiencing something that we have not really experienced before. And it can feel like suffering. But in the meantime, Jesus tells us that there will be divisions. He says families will be divided from one another. Let's go back to verses 12 and 13. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And every one of you will hate, and everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. We haven't seen the power of this prediction in real life like we have today, probably since the Civil War. Today we are in a time when maybe having two world crises helps us. You see, we are experiencing the, the effects of this pandemic, this global virus that is attacking the world. And at the same time, we are, expecting, we are experiencing this great suffering from politics in our nation in particular, but also in other places. And what I'm saying is that maybe the pandemic actually helped to save us a little bit this Thanksgiving because we weren't supposed to be in large family gatherings. And if we would have been in large family gatherings, perhaps there would have been a little more um, fighting and even, if not physical deaths, some emotional and spiritual deaths. This is a time of suffering. And there will be more to suffer. But it helps me to understand why this time is so crazy. It is to prepare us. Jesus also says that pretenders will come in his name. And they will even fool some of the elect. In verses 22 and 23 of chapter 13. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out, I have warned you about this ahead of time. And there will be a time to flee Judea. There will be a time to escape the place that they called home. In verses 14 through 20, Jesus teaches about that. The day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where it should not be. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing, mother in, nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in the winter, for there will be greater anguish 
in those days than at any time since God created the world, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive, but for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened these days. These are Jesus' words, words that we may not want to hear, words that we may not want to confront, but they confront us. There were several options for interpreting this reference. In, uh, in 39 to 40 AD, this would have been maybe 10 years after the life and death of Jesus, there was an emperor named Caligula. And Caligula actually tried to have a big statue of himself placed in the middle of the temple in Jerusalem. The people revolted enough that he never got it completed. But then there was the Roman general Titus, who went into the city of Jerusalem and city uh, in 70 AD. And uh, after um, attacking the city, he forced entry into the temple. So here this Gentile, this Roman soldier, this Roman general, walks straight into the temple and defiles it. The soldiers for Titus, who set up camp in Jerusalem, they also used the temple to burn sacrifices, not to God, but to their idols, to their gods, inside the temple. And then in 72 AD, Titus completely destroys the temple as he destroys and burns down Jerusalem. So historically, there are many references to this. But there are also not just some historical ones, but some, um, some that, that predict what could happen. Um, Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. He says, if I can find it right here, don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, literally, is revealed, the one who brings destruction, and he will exalt himself, and he will defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming he himself is God. Lots and lots of possibilities. What this word reminds us of is that we are not experiencing something that was not anticipated. We are to experience suffering as Christians. Because there might have been some years that we didn't really experience it, doesn't mean that now all of a sudden this is different and therefore it's unfair, it's unjust. No, this is the way that life is supposed to be for Christians. I mean, what we are suffering is still very minimal compared to what others have suffered. But these signs are signs, not of the end, but Jesus says, of the beginning a global pandemic, 
political divisions, dividing families, going to war against one another. Largest unemployment numbers for us since the Great Depression. People here in Phoenix lined up for two miles on Monday of last week at St. Mary's Food Bank trying to get some food to feed their families. Two miles long. False messiahs, false prophets, people telling you that Jesus is not real. Or worse yet, people pretending to be followers of Jesus, wreaking destruction on people. These are just the birth pains. This is just the beginning. There is much more to go. Now you're wondering, where is the hope? Well, this is the hope. Even though you and I will suffer for persecution, from persecution, this was Jesus' warning for his disciples and for us. Let's go back to verses 9 through 11. When these things begin to happen, watch out. You'll be handed over to local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You'll stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must, must first be preached to all nations. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time. For it is not you who will be speaking, but it is the Holy Spirit. When I see and hear how people talk about one another, how people talk to one another in this volatile time that we are living in, with all these attacks going back and forth, my heart breaks. There is no longer civil discourse, but rather rampant fear-mongering and threats. We may not have to appear before church councils or judges or kings or, or leaders, but our, but our families and our friendships are being torn apart by evil strongholds. And as a representative of the institutional church, which is often wrong and misguided, just like individual Christians, I too get to experience some of the mockery and the ridicule that comes from both sides. How many times I have heard, I have nothing against Jesus. It's you people I have a problem with. Yet our call is not to correct them. Our call is not to get revenge. Our call is not to think badly about them, but to care for them, to know that they have misheard or misinterpreted or have been led astray. Our call is to love them with the, with the love that Christ loved us with. To love them with Christ-like love. Jesus loved you by hanging on a cross for you 
to wipe away your sins. Discipleship continues. As a matter of fact, it must be lived out now. We need to be in relationship with one another as followers of Jesus, holding each other accountable during these difficult and challenging times. Because you see, the threat for us as Christians is not divine judgment. That is not the threat. The threat for us is continued persecutions. And how will we remain faithful during these difficult times? How can we remain faithful in the midst of the suffering of broken relationships that we experience? The Son of Man is coming after the persecutions and tribulations to bring together the elect. And this is such an important verse. Verse 27. And he will send out the Son of Man the Son of Man will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. The Son of Man will send out his angels. The elect, or these chosen ones, are not predestined in that formal theological concept of predestination. The chosen ones are simply those who remain faithful to God and to his word. The chosen ones willingly take up crosses forced upon them by the current world order. They suffer from those crosses because it is their cross to bear. And we do so Gladly, because we bear it for Christ. The chosen ones do this not by their power, but we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is why one of the most favorite references in Advent to begin with prayers is, Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. You are the chosen ones, my friends. You are the faithful ones. And when Jesus comes again, he does not come to bring divine judgment upon you. He comes to rescue you, to save you, to protect you. The world will bring itself down. The, the world will bring judgment upon itself. But by remaining faithful to God and to God's word, and to the call to love one another, you and I are a part of God's chosen. You are God's chosen. The time is near, and Christ will come again. We don't know when, so we remain faithful, and we love one another. But this is not bad news, friends. This is good news. Because Jesus comes to save you. He loves you. He knows what you are suffering. And he comes to protect you. That is what it means to stay alert.
to be awake. For Christ is coming. He is coming again. Amen.